We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. I'm just saying this for the history record. Then I ran in a spike at the governor's ball. I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, and I started to say, I know you're probably, you know, I, don't, I probably got three words out. I was going to say, like, about these, these are just my thoughts. This is, you know, how much I respect you and all that kind of stuff. And he did shake my hand, but he let go of it and kept walking, and as he walked, he turned around and said, you know, because I, I had made a tweet, which just lets me know he's reading my tweets, so it made me kind of feel good. I made a tweet during the thing of saying, you know, like, it was good to have a film out at the same time as Spike. It was like a dream, like in the theaters at the same time, you know. Um, and I said that was like Miles and Dizzy or whatever going back and forth. And they, you know, and, and there's there's something that, that feels like that. Anyway, so he was like, you made a tweet saying something about Miles and Dizzy. I want to tell you something. And he's, he's backing up as he's saying this. And then he yells out, I'm Miles Davis. You're Chet Baker. <laughs> Boots Riley is the director of Sorry to Bother You, one of last year's best films and the most anti-capitalist film to ever come out of Hollywood, and a debut film of such intelligence and originality that it announces an important new filmmaking voice. I can't wait to see what he does next. I've been a fan of Boots's for a long time. His rap group, The Coup, was awesome. Imagine De La Soul with Bay Area activist politics, and they were the first group I ever wrote about for the Village Voice back at the beginning of my media career, like 25 or more years ago. That was the Coup's first review, so I guess we've grown up together in a way. Boots is someone I've wanted to have on this show for a long time, so I'm thrilled to finally get to do this. And stay tuned to the end, or skip ahead if you have to, when Boots talks about his critique of Spike Lee's Black Klansman. It's Boots Riley on Touré Show. my money in my book sorry to bother you was the best film i saw last year because it was it was smart it was challenging it was funny it was so engrossing it brought in so many issues and so many thoughts it was so real it was fantastical and yet real at the same time and i i i was just so entranced take me back to the beginning because you know i knew you first as a rapper in yeah. the coup yeah matter of fact you were our first ever review that we got well that was the first review that i wrote (laughs) (laughs) back in the village voice um and it's funny because i remember you caught something that a lot of people didn't catch and that i was actually mad about because you caught the de la soul influence mm. and was interesting for us on on the west coast we when people said backpack rap we had a different feeling behind it because for many people um i will say in on the west coast their connection to native tongue experience of which i'm obviously a fan as you even pointed out in that first interview a uh, giant fan but a lot of the connection was well at least this isn't here mm. right at least this isn't my neighborhood right. like it was like this fantasy world that was without racism, mm. without being, uh, without being uh, stereotyped as this, you know, as a thug or whatever, and so 
we saw that, like, we saw people all of a sudden talking with New York accents and stuff like that okay. that had never been there. And, <laughs> and, you know, for me, because I was already involved in organizing, I didn't, you know, many people took it as like, oh, fuck them, fuck them backpackers, you know. Right. Because they felt like, oh, they were shunning. They were like being somebody that they weren't. But I understood it as like people kind of feeling powerless to change their situation. So they figure out how can I go to something else? Right. You know, how can I? And but either way, I didn't want to do that. But you can't like hide your influences right that you know so right. yeah, yeah you know right no right right i mean somebody like de la soul comes along i mean it changed it for a lot of people you know i mean i thought it was just me because i think about i loved hip-hop from the first time i heard uh rapper's delight but when i heard de la i realized that i had loved it but i had not felt like this is me right like like those guys are me more than these singers mm. But when I heard Dela, I was like, oh, that's who I would be if I was a rapper. And they brought me into the culture, made me feel more embraced by the culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Questlove has said the same thing. There's been some other people who said the same thing. But I'm excited to see you make a big move to being a director. What was the beginning of you saying, well, I want to do that. I want to make films. Uh I think the beginning of me seriously saying it was when, uh, when it must have been do the right thing, you know. Really? Yeah, because I was so. My grandmother ran the Oakland Ensemble Theater in the seventies and eighties, uh, and and I uh, I was involved. You know, the first time I rapped was because uh, I was writing the school play. Okay. And well, no, I rapped, you know, around, but it was like I was actually stealing Schoolie D's raps because nobody <laughs> knew him over there, so that didn't count. <laughs> I was, you know, just banging on the tables, saying Schoolie D raps, and people were like, "Oh, that's cool." He's amazing. You know? yeah. You're amazing. <laughs> and it, um, but we had to. They wanted to do a, a version of West Side Story, and so I wrote it for the school, and it, it was with raps. And uh, and people didn't boo. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, and then I was involved in the Black Repertory Theater, which was like a storefront theater that, like, uh, we would do our own stuff, but then they have it like Roger Guinevere Smith was constantly there doing the same <laughs> play he's doing now, which is Frederick Douglass. Yes. And, um, you know, so I see all of that. And so, and because I had been involved in, or by, by this time as a teenager, I'd been involved in organizing uh, farm workers in the Central California Valley. There was this story of Teatro Campesino, um, which was had been around in the 60s and part of the, the uh, uh, Cesar Chavez movement w in which they would do plays for people as they were coming out of the fields that encouraged them to join the union and okay. things like that. And so, like, I had this idea of, political theater okay and but but then i started kind of getting frustrated that okay w black repertory theater was like we could fit 40 people in there at the most sure. and i was like fuck that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of plays you got to do to get to <laughs> get to the world and, and and uh and do the right thing came out and i was like okay i want to do this well at the same time obviously you know at the same time um, you know, I've been doing music, uh, you know, and 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 um, Oakland was the place became the place that every record label had to have somebody from right. because of Digital Underground, because of MC Hammer, Too because short. of Too Short, you know. And our our first producer was actually Too Short's uh, DJ. And um, anyway, so um, I went to college. I went to school for film at San Francisco State. Okay. And uh, that I was that was my idea, but at the same time as I was realizing it back then, this is I went got into school in, in late '89, um, and you know things were going to cost a lot of money back then, even for short films like 
And I was paying that scene in the movie where uh, Cassius says 40 on two. Like, <laughs> I actually was doing that to get to school. What, my, mind you, this is 1990, so 40 cents could actually get you <laughs> a little bit further. But it was still enough to where I, my plan was I pay, uh, spend 25 to 40 cents to make sure I didn't run out of gas on the bridge to get to San Francisco State. And when I was there, asking people for a loan. <laughs> like, I would be at school asking people for money to get home. Can I get a dollar? You know, yeah. Well, dollar? dollar was a lot. But <laughs> Can I give 50 cents? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, just to put in the gas tank. Oh, you need a ride? You know, that's something like that. And um, so, but we, we made this, so we made this, uh, this EP that, um, you know, because I used my, uh, my knowledge of 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 uh, just uh, blanketing an area from doing political work, we like everybody was like, I don't know who the fuck the coup is, but I see their poster yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need what is this, you know? And so at one point we became the most selling tape at uh, the local record stores. Okay, and that just happened to be the week of the Gavin convention, which was like the radio thing and so right wild pitch records came blah blah blah. they gave us a call and i was in school i was like okay you know maybe this is what i'm doing instead of film so i've been talking about doing film you for were on a long film track before you were signed as an mc yeah yeah okay. yeah and um and which is why like we got known for a lot of like eight minute long songs that tell a story and then or sometimes tell a story and then they 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 weave in with three other songs because I was looking for ways to kind of make film with music, you okay. know. Okay. Um like we even would have like long we have like one long skit ab- about sneaking into stuff and all that kind of stuff and get into the sound design and so I felt like whoa, I can kind of sneak and make a movie okay. um, with these things. So, But I didn't think that, I, you know, I didn't see the future as film becoming cheaper, things like that. And also, um, I think I was fine with the, the, the reach I was having with the music and the connection that I was having to different social movements and stuff like that. But after a while, um, the artist in me, just kind of needed something to mix it up. You know, I had done some other stuff. I had done uh, Street Sweeper Social Club with Tom Morello. Uh-huh. And I think that was an experience that um, made me, uh, for the first time, not feel as satisfied because, you know, um, it was a situation in which, like, Tom was like, I want everybody to know your work. So I want you to. Let's do this, and which was great of him because it did sure expand uh, people un- knowing my work. But it was also his music and my lyrics just kind of mechanically put on top. I think with our second release, it, it became less mechanical. But it was not as satisfying for me coming out of the coup, where I the coup is like, here's my vision, right? Let's let's right. make this happen, and I assemble the the group of folks that help make this vision happen which was a lot more satisfying. Sure. And um, and so I started uh, not feeling that satisfied with this and started kind of looking at, at, you know, my life and being like, okay, well, what are the things that I want to do? And and knowing that what I've learned over all of this time is that the main ingredient you have to have is passion, not this sort of sense of, like, I see people faltering when they're, like, even in the, the creation process of music where they're like, okay, this is the thing that worked. So therefore, I need to do that thing that worked again. You know, because, and and you subtract yourself from what you want to do based on what you think you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's when, you know, that's when it starts fizzling because people sense uh, that there's not passion there. And that's that's what we're all wanting. We're all wanting engagement with life. We want art that makes us feel engaged with the world. And for that to happen, that artist has to have a passion. I mean, you clearly have a lot of passion. And just listening to you, I keep hearing the art comes out of 
political uh, desires, right? You talk about the theater and, I mean, what the coup is all about and what this film is all about. You, you don't want to just perform or just entertain. It seems like you start as a political thinker and then layer the art on top of that. Is that hmm. how you think I get, of it? I mean, I think that's how everyone, you start as who you are, right? As what you think about, what you care about, you know? I mean, Cypress Hill, they cared about smoking weed. That's what they were really passionate about. And you're from a family of organizers and activists, and the Bay is very Mm -hmm. thoughtful and intellectual and activist. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's complications to all of that. Like, by the time I started getting involved in radical politics, my parents had been burnt out of that scene already, and they, you know, were doing their thing. Extensions of what they thought they were already doing. So my father became a public defender and a criminal defense attorney, which he felt was an extension of the radical politics that he was doing. Matter of fact, growing up as a teenager in Oakland, you know, I might sneak into a bar and then somebody would be like, nobody fucks with him. All his drinks are on me. And be like, your daddy got me off. You know, like I was I was going to be in jail for 20 years. And, you know, he came, you know, got wow. me up. The film had been written several years before mm-hmm. it got produced. Talk about conceiving and creating this as a script. Yeah, okay. Um, so in between Genocide and Juice and Steal This Album, Genocide and Juice, uh, we had this um, this song, Fat Cats and Bigger Fish, which was getting played on the radio in L.A. by just a, a you know quirk of fate and um anyway what happened with that left to me you know the 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 EMI told the radio stations to stop playing it and so that left me feeling like okay I've spent I was 24 I spent all my life doing music and being this artist with this idea of connecting my stuff to a movement and I was like fuck I have no control over anything and I stopped doing music, and we created this organization called the Young Comrades. And um, in order to do that, I needed to get a job. So I got a job doing telemarketing because I was good. You know, the other side of me is that I've also been doing sales since I was 11, like the kid knocking on your door and um, giving you this sob story about, you know, the last paper before, so you can go to Disneyland and you've never been out of town before, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and um, so I knew I was good at that and I could, I could work there one day every two weeks and pay my rent. Okay. And, and so I did that. And from that, and I eventually went back to have, have Young Comrades Folded and um, I went back and made Steal This Album, which, a lot of the musicians were people in the Young Comrades, so a lot of stuff like that. But um, we, um, so I always had these stories, and I knew that I wanted to make a film at some point, and so I just kind of downloaded uh, Final Draft one day and started writing, and and the idea was I knew that I wanted it to ha- take place in the world of telemarketing. Okay. And because I that was ripe with stories. Matter of fact, 95% of the stories didn't make it into the the film because as I started writing, I realized this is not really a film about telemarketing. <laughs> right, and, right, it is not. And, and, I, and I knew, um, but I knew one thing. I knew there was going to be an on-the-job struggle, which the main character had to decide which side uh, he was going to be on. And I knew the opening scene because that had been um, how my boy Rob Ebo got all of his jobs. He never got caught. (laughs) By lying about. (laughs) Yeah, by actually printing up, like, Employee of the Month awards (laughs) and stuff like that and bringing them with him and and having fake phone numbers of, you know, or telling somebody who (laughs) is the busboy at this restaurant saying that that's the manager and, you know <laughs> don't try this at home <laughs> and uh it, it would always work and then i knew the compliment argument because that happened to my little brother years ago and i was always like i'm putting that in a movie i don't care you know right where i hope you have a good day I yeah. hope you have a good right that, that was yeah. amazing yeah that was amazing 
Yeah, and yeah, and that scene was crazy because I had only written five back and forths, which is kind of like what had happened to my brother. And I, it seemed funny on the page, but I knew it was going to be hard because, you know, like, if you're, you, for me, the comedy where you know they're trying to make you laugh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. Sure. And so, and and we had two different kinds of actors because Jermaine uh, Fowler. Fowler is a comedian. Right. And so he's trying to make you laugh, you know, in the rest of his life. Right. Right. And, and, and also, um, for an actor, you could read the thing and be like, oh, this is funny. Right. And that, that's the way you play it. So the, as they were rehearsing, we didn't really have time for rehearsals before. So we did one read through and it was like with the zing, gotcha. And I was like, okay, I don't know. And then, then we, and tried to shape that. But again, with doing this, as we're going, I'm learning my language for speaking to actors. Okay. You know, luckily I'd had the Sundance Directors Lab and figured some of that out. We had some great advisors and understood some of that, but some things you just get into right then and have to figure out. And so they're rehearsing um they're 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 rehearsing their their uh thing like as we're shooting this other scene. And it's funny because Danny was there sitting at a table as they're rehearsing. And he was like, I don't, I don't know if he meant this, but he was like, well, yeah, sounds Glover. like, yeah, Danny Glover. He was like, well, like he, he was just commenting because uh, I was looking at them. They were standing there doing it, and he looked at me and said, well, sounds like a comedy act or whatever. <laughs> but he said it as a as a compliment. Okay. And I, but I read something else in there too, and um, <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, we're trying to get it going. The, and and I was trying to figure out what it was. Was it inflections? Was it this or that? And um, it just w- wasn't working. And I was thinking, oh, we might just have to cut this scene out, you know. And um, and then we started filming it because meanwhile, while they're rehearsing it, I'm going back and forth, you know, as we're we're changing the lights on a different scene and coming back and checking on them. And um, so then we start filming, it and it's still like this comedy way. And then I finally figured out, figured it out. I don't know exactly what I said, but it was something about you know, like just, just. I mean, it's simple. Like you, like look, you want to kill each other, but you don't want to get caught. <laughs> you know, but you do and, love each other, even though you're angry as hell at each yeah, other. Yeah, and and but but the, the the that was the 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 key to it. But the point is though that by the time we figured that out. We'd already spent too much time on the scene. <laughs> and then by the time they figured that out, then I realized, whoa, this is way more hilarious than I thought it was going to be. This five back and forth, that's not enough. Like, we, you know, we got Yeah, go. so, then, so then I was like, just keep going. This is why we end up having to, to have the camera just behind Jermaine for the whole time. Because by the time they got it, we were like, my AD was like, "We gotta go. We what are you? T-? You know, like, like we're, we're we're sacrificing all this other stuff." And so, that you know, a lot of it was just gotten on the last like two takes, and we couldn't we couldn't even sh- uh, we we had to use the uh, second camera to shoot a different thing um, while we were shooting over Jermaine's shoulder. So that's why we stay there for that whole time because there's so much yeah. there's so much black art that talks about the the white voice in a reductive way, right? Mm-hmm. So much of Comic View and so many comedians, they just go into the nasal thing and mm-hmm. make fun of the sound. And and you take into the account that, right? And Dan yeah. Glover's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And when you take it to that deeper level of like, no, like, like you have entitlement. Like you know you're going to have a job. Mm-hmm. Like that blew my mind because that's a much deeper sense of what the white voice is communicating um and the move so much of the movie is about dealing with the white voice yeah um, i mean that that and the way you use that idea was really powerful yeah and 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 i think you know the idea is that it is just that it's an it's an idea that all of these things that we're all doing performances at some yeah. level and we can't get away from that. But the question is why and what we're getting out of it. And, and you know, and, 
you know, some of these performances are not necessarily conscious like it is in, in the movie, uh, but the, the idea that even for white people, it's a performance. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Get back to Boots Riley in one second, but I want to give a shout out to longtime supporter of the show, Saks Underwear, who knows guys deserve great underwear. They sent me all these great pairs. They look really cool. There's all sorts of whimsical designs. They sent me these swim trunks that are really awesome too. And the thing is, you put them on, they fit comfortably, they're thin, they're smooth, they keep you in place, and you forget about it. And that's what you want from your underwear. Forget about it. I don't want to have to think about it. It doesn't ride up. It just holds me in place, and everything is cool all day long. It's the underwear that you deserve. So order a few pairs of Saks underwear. That's S-A-X-X underwear.com. Saks with two X's. Use the promo code Torre at checkout. Saksunderwear.com. Promo code Torre. Look, it's cool underwear that's thin, that's breathable. It feels good. It's probably the best underwear you could possibly get, unless you're like a billionaire and you have like billionaire underwear, which I don't even know what that would be. Uh, but Saks underwear is underwear that the regular guy can love. You chose two of the greatest, smartest young actors to be your leads mm-hmm. in Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. Both people who I would watch do anything on their own, and to see them together is extraordinary. Why them, and how'd you get them? So, let's see. So, originally, um, 
you know, the whole way I got this film made was was uh, kind of a stone soup sort of a thing. Oh, this person's on board. You should read this. You know, it's hard to get my screenplay read in the first place because who wants to read the screenplay of a rapper? Very few people. And <laughs> and um, and so, you know, the first people to get on board were David Cross and Pat Oswalt. That didn't get money people interested, <laughs> but it made people think maybe it's funny, you know. Right. And then uh, Dave Eggers published it as its own paperback book or in McSweeney's. 2014. Yeah. And on McSweeney's as part of the, uh, uh, whatever you, the quarterly, and that went out to like twenty thousand people. So that got me like uh, wind in my sails. And then I, you know, Sundance. So, so at a certain point, after I had gone to the Sundance Writers Lab, but before I had gone to the Directors Lab, um, I uh, a friend of mine was like, well, I I just went to uh, I. I'm trying to. Uh, why am I forgetting? Anyway, some a friend of mine was like, uh, "I just went to wedding and um, and uh, Jordan Peele was there, so um, I got the uh, and, and I don't know. My brain is just not working right now, so I'm not giving <laughs> this person the person credit where it's due. So I'm not even gonna remember his name on purpose now because it's gonna like a diss if I finally remember his name. <laughs> but anyway, he had gone, Jordan Peele had gone to his wedding. Okay. I was like, dude, get this script to Jordan Peele. And he got it to him. And like a couple days later, Jordan Peele hit me up saying, okay, I want to play the lead in this, right? Whoa. So uh, then, uh, he, th- then months went by, blah, 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 this and that. And um, he he did even did a reading for us in uh, you know a Sundance reading, wow. and then then he directed Get Out, and, changed everything. Yeah, and he was like, Get Out hadn't come out yet, but he was like, uh, I don't want to act anymore, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then he was like, But you know, I'll get, I'll help you get to whoever you need to get to. And I was like, Okay, Donald Glover. Then uh, Donald Glover was like. I, okay, I want to play the lead in this. Wow. And uh, he said, but I might have to do this. Uh, I don't know. I might get this Star Wars part. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and then the day that he, you know, uh, announced the part right before that, he called me and told me. And then, um, like, then he hung up the phone. Ten minutes after that, um, I get a call from Lakeith's manager who was like, you need to talk to, to Lakeith. You need to talk to Lakeith. So, one, these couple folks being interested and being around it kind of made it mm-hmm. seem like it must be a good project. It had gone through Sundance. By this time, I'd gone through the director's lab and all that kind of stuff, too. So, you know, it gave it some promise. But, I, you know, I, at the time, I only knew Lakeith from uh, Short Term 12. And, um, you know, there had only been, like, one or two episodes of Atlanta out by okay. then. And so I wasn't sure. He kind of seemed like he might seem too young or whatever, but when I met with him, I just saw the crazy in his eyes <laughs> and um, was like, okay, this is the right one. Luckily for us, in between that time, he blew up, right? Right. And, uh, and but but even so, even before, uh, before he kind of blew up, as soon as we... we I cast him because I was worried that, you know, like you talk to money people and they're like, oh, this person is not popular enough, that blah, 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 you know. But by then, all all the heat on the project was enough to where I could cast Lakeith. And people were like, OK, cool, that's 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 fine. Um, and and I cast him and it sent up a flare to other actors that like, OK, this is the kind of movie that they're making. Okay. You know, like it's one thing to hear about this crazy screenplay and Sundance, but then to not really know what the director's vision. And I think that sent out a message to other actors what I was trying to do. Now, I had written Tessa a letter like a year before, written her uh, an email a year before that she never answered. And um, a couple weeks after I cast Lakeith, I get a response. I accept, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And... uh, 
Yeah, yeah. And 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 by this time I had had some other favorites and I was also feeling a little bit like you didn't answer my email for a year Who, and all that kind of stuff. Before her? I don't know. But <laughs> smart man. And um and 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 so I would but 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 also maybe feeling a little bit like you didn't answer my my email for a year, you know, whatever. And um and so I was like and I had heard that she would never do uh an reading or an audition. So I was like and also I I honestly felt like this is my first time and people could be great actors, but what if they don't work? Chemistry. We get there on the day. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I knew that that relationship had to seem real. Yeah, yeah. For for us to get all the crazy stuff, we had to care about some real things yeah. in there. And, um, yeah, and, and so uh, kind of as a thing, I was like, okay, only if she'll do a chemistry read, thinking, like, she's going to say no, and then I get, you know, that sort of thing. And she was like, no, I'll do one. And then we couldn't... Um, Organize it so we were all in the same place. So we did a a, a three way Skype with okay. Lakeith in L A, me in Oakland, and her in upstate New York where she was filming something, and it was fire on the laptop screen. And I was just like, okay, this is this is, this is it. Um, you know, I also was like a little bit worried about certain kind of casting when <clears throat> somebody is too big mm-hmm. that you just see that person mm-hmm. on there, like you know, and, and 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 I and I think there are certain movies that are set up in that way where it's like you don't remember who the character was, you just remember it was that actor in a movie. And I and I, and I was really wanting everybody to lose themselves in in it and also you know, the viewers and the actors. So I was a little worried about that, but with with when when they did their uh chemistry test it was obvious. And I even said to her, she was like what's going on here? I was like, well, I'm worried that you're in everything. And she was like, Lakeith is in everything. <laughs> it's perfect. And, <laughs> but when they're, when, when she does the performance art and they're throwing batteries at her, I, I mean, it's a powerful scene. I'm, yeah. I'm afraid for her. I'm proud of her as an artist. And, there's just so much going on. Yeah, it was it was hard to even be in there for people that were the extras, and so it was just this surreal experience. And people were like walking out, like I can't be, I can't watch this. Even though you know these are like foam things that are being thrown at her. So sure. when she's looking, like that's her exactly. acting. It's not like <laughs> she's but not getting feel, hurt. Do you see the ending as tragic? No, he's fighting in the end. He's, he's fighting with, and in the in the beginning he wasn't fighting, but and he, he has literally lost himself. He is no longer maybe, a human being. Yeah, but well, he maybe he's if he's if he's fighting, um, and about to be part of changing the world, I would think that uh, he's found himself. I I wanted to have this discussion of this movie, even though it's like a year old, because I wanted to motivate others to go see it as well as speak to the people who've already seen it. So I'm trying to avoid the spoilers for those who have not seen it because it's highly, highly recommended. I love this movie. I've watched it a bunch of times. But I want to talk about the, something that's not in the very end. And okay. I'm sorry to the, for those who have not seen it yet. Why don't we get to see the big evil boss owner get stomped out and killed? Like, clearly that's going to come but you fit, cut to black and mm-hmm. move it. Like, and well, I, I kind of wanted to see him get his ass yeah. kicked because he does well, racist to, stuff. He does, you know, uh, anti-worker stuff. He's a, he's a yeah. bad guy. Well, two reasons, a few reasons. One, um, the fight always keeps going on. Like, I didn't want to give it something like, I boom, it's that. all over with. Okay. And <laughs> okay. problem solved, you know, it's like, you know, he might have an escape hatch, you know, and get away. Which, and then there's which, other people like him. You beat him up. There's other. There's still yeah, others. yeah, yeah. And um, then the other part of it is, we made this movie for three point six million dollars. <laughs> that would have been that's hard nothing. to film. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a big part of it. What did it? What did it make? Um, it made now altogether made 
like 20 something million, you know, because we're, you know, I think it made close to 20 uh, here in the U.S. And then it uh, then we, we then we released it like six months later in the U.K. and France and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And then and then it also Hulu and all that kind of stuff. So so, so you made a 20 million dollar, 20 plus million dollar grocer for under four million dollars, which is change in Hollywood. So does that mean that you can go to any studio and be like, this is what I want to make, and everybody is taking your calls and listening to you now? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have to be good ideas. And, and sure. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing uh, three things right now. Well, what's next? Uh, let's see. So I have a feature deal with Annapurna kind of basically like whatever I want to do. Um, I'm writing that. Um, Give me the elevator pitch for the next thing. Nope. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm doing a TV show uh, with uh, Michael Ellenberg's company, Media Res. Michael Ellenberg used to run HBO and now has his own studio. Uh, so I uh, just wrote the pilot for that. And then I'm writing a standalone uh episode for uh Guillermo del Toro's Netflix horror anthology um uh, the anthology is called 10 after midnight so um yeah that's almost done too so with one behind you as a director what would you do differently next time mm. well here's the thing had i ever made a film I probably wouldn't have made that film. Why? Because, okay, we like I said, we did that for three point six million dollars, which meant part of how we did that is we did sixty one locations in twenty eight days. You know, so when I thought about that before, I was like, "Fuck it, we got to do it." Had I known how hard that was, I probably would have like been like, "Oh, let's change some of this. Right, right, <laughs> let's right. figure this out." You know. Um, so it's hard to say what I would have done differently on that because I think so much of it come, came out of trying to stretch and make things happen, make things work like, um, and, and a lot of beautiful things. And you learn that from music too. So I had some confidence in that even though all these variables were in play, trying to figure out how we can make this broken amp work. You know, and you figure out a different sound that, wow, this sound, now we're basing it around this crazy sound. And this is, you know, like had, you know, a couple decades of experience at that and knowing that magic can come from that. And, um, And we had a lot of those moments. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is mostly secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tenderfoot tv campside media and iheart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On, on set, so 
it's hard to say that now I can do things with a, a bigger budget. But the good thing is, is that my ideas are always way bigger than anybody would ever give me money for. Right. <laughs> so it probably will always still have that stretching it um, sort of a uh, 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 thing to the process that that you know, makes cool things come out. Do you have a top five directors in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I could say, uh, 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 Inaritu, um, okay. Uh, uh, Emir Kustarika, he's a Serbian filmmaker, made movies that, that are, to me, influenced me a lot. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and again, memory isn't worth. Uh, uh, Black Cat, White Cat, Underground, Time of Gypsies. Um, Kubrick okay. is definitely like the way everything is important. Like somebody's not just walking down a hall because you got to show that they got to the other room. Right. 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 Everything that happens in there is important. That's, you know, what I, you know, that's what I intend to do with all of my stuff. Um, you know, um, it's, you know, the, the, the stuff is always, uh, is always changing. So it's, 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 it's hard, you know, I feel weird with the, the top five question because, uh, one, I'm, as you see, I'm bad at remembering things. <laughs> um, and, 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 and some of the directors are ones that I know now. So sure. if I say here and say their movie, but I forgot their name, it's going to be weird. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but uh but you know other folks like uh like uh Milos Forman and yeah, um yeah. you know uh Fireman's Ball and 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 uh Loves of a Blonde and how how he deals with like people and bodies and just kind of on top of each other and humanity you know slapped against each other that yeah. the, the way that's shown and felt uh you know some um I I think uh I'm doing one of the things I'm writing, I, I think, would probably fall in the realm of science fiction and is very influenced by Sergei Parajanov and, um, you know, like Color of Pomegranates and how the, the, uh, the, the wides are really populated with all of these details, yet, um, you know, it's still, you know, there, there's still a point of reference that your eye is drawn to. Um, and yeah, so I mean, there are a lot. I like other things that I think maybe I'm not influenced by, like um, some of the flamenco films of uh, Carlos Saura, the the, uh, the trilogy he did, uh, where there's Carmen, uh, and then there's uh, my my favorite probably uh, Elamor Brujo, and things like that, which kind of feel like a, a, a live thing. And there's plenty of like new directors that are trying things that I really like. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, uh, I liked Black Klansman, but I struggled with it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and your tweets about it took my visceral struggle with it to a much more articulated intellectual place. And you, you, you attacked it in a very intellectual way. Um, with facts. It was not just like, here's my opinion, I'm mad at you, but like, mm -hmm. from my factual position, this is very problematic. Um, why did you want to, I mean, like, you know, you, you, you started with loving or respecting Spike and his yeah. work. That's the beginning of your film career. Yeah, and, and so I still do. why did you want to do that? Um, well, I still do. And still have great respect for Spike. Yeah, and, and, and as a matter of fact, even more than even my film career, first demo tape I sent was to 40 Acres and a Mule Music Works. Wow. Right? Wow. <laughs> and um, so maybe, you know, maybe I'm a little, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, the, uh, <laughs> no, the, the thing, yeah. Uh, so, so it has nothing to do with, with uh, that. But, but, you know, I'm commenting on all sorts of things. I think I got especially uh, met because I actually went, into seeing Black Klansmen, like if you look at the tweets before I go see it, I've I l did like a whole 
thread of tweets that were just exalting Spike, right? Sure. And I went in to see it and got disgusted. I will say this. Look, one reason I feel comfortable saying these things is because I followed Spike through his whole career, and I know that he'd be saying the same, and he has said this. I mean, what I say is very tame compared to what Spike says about films that he doesn't like. Sure. And, you know, and it doesn't matter whether they're white, black, whatever. He says what he thinks. Sure. And often what he thinks, you know, he'll say and he'll sum someone up in a very insulting way. That's just his, <laughs> yeah. his thing. So, so I'm thinking I'm saying something that is not going to be taken, you know, well, I, I, since I think I know him from interviews, I'm sure that and, and artists are going to be insulted. Like, you know, somebody can do a review that's bad of mine, and I, I won't say that my ego won't be hurt, but, you know, like, that's your first reaction. Um, so that, that's that being said. I, 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 th- I think filmmakers, artists, that's part of art. Like, when, you're, when, you, when I'm making an art, making a piece of art, it's a critique. Sure. Not only of society, but of other art. It's just yeah. implicit in what we're doing. I mean, this film is the most uh, anti-capitalism film that Hollywood has ever created. So there is a deep critique of capitalism yeah. baked into the film. Yeah. And and so, um, and I'll say this, this will probably be the last thing I say about this film, because I will say that over the course of the reaction to my critique. Of Black Klansmen. Of Black Klansmen. One, there was all these writings of how dare he right. say anything. Which, right. Right. That doesn't make any sense. That, you know, um, and matter of fact, writers, journalists mm-hmm. yeah. saying that, you know, like you don't get paid to you don't get paid to write film critique. That's what one journalist publicly said. It was not film right? critique. <laughs> it was not. a film. Yeah. It was you were not. Trying and even to be Roger Ebert. Yeah. Even if I even if I did, you know, I'm, I'm someone out in the lenses, world. It was about you are lionizing the police. You are leaving yeah. out important well, parts of the story. Well, so and then then I ran into I'm just saying this for the history yeah. record. Then I ran into Spike at the governor's ball. Like he accidentally walked walked up beside me. I think we both didn't see each other. Then we saw each other. I stuck out my hand to uh, shake, his, shake hand. his hand, and I started to say, "I know you're probably, you know, I, don't, I probably got three words out. I was gonna say like something like about these. These are just my thoughts. This is, you know, how much I respect you and all that kind of stuff." And he he did shake my hand, but he let go of it and kept walking. And as he walked, he turned around and said, "You know, because I had made I had made a tweet." which just lets me know he was reading my tweets, so it made me kind of feel good. I made a tweet, uh, <laughs> like, during the thing of saying, you know, like, it was good to have a film out at the same time as Spike. It was, like, a dream. Like, in the theaters at the same time, you know. Um, and I said that was, like, Miles and Dizzy or whatever, you know, like, going back and forth. And, they, you know, and, and there's there's something that, that feels like that. Anyway, so he was like, you made a tweet saying something about Miles and Dizzy. I want to tell you something. And he's he's backing up as he's saying this, and then he yells out, "I'm Miles Davis. You're Chet Baker." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he and he kept saying that over and over as he walked away. You're Chet Baker. Yeah. You're Chet Baker. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and um, and then I saw him again at the DGA thing. And he was like, hey, man, you know, and he, he grabbed my hand, gave me like the one hand, uh, uh, you know, handshake hug sort of thing. He was like, squashed? And I was like, yeah, squashed. He was like, cool. And then okay. that was it, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm just saying this this thing for the, the, the record because all of that stuff has been out and squashed and I, you know. And so what I'll say is this. My one regret about, and this will be the last thing I I say about this film. Um, My one regret is, in writing that that critique, is that I've written it after I read only half of the memoir. Okay. 
had I read the whole memoir, my critique would have been way more scathing. <laughs> um, because, and this is about, and, and here's, here's where I let Spike off the hook to a certain extent, is I believe he probably got the script because it was already yeah. written and didn't really right. research exactly what had happened, right? And, and from the script that he was handed, he worked with that and, and apparently added more stuff, but, you know, he worked with that. So, but let me just take it from Ron Stallworth and who he actually was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who is right? the, the, the star, the, the, the subject of Black Now, Jasmine. Ron Stallworth, he writes this book in which he, at the very first chapter, talks about infiltrating um, an organization that Stokely Carmichael was connected to in the mm-hmm. early 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, he, at the end, brags, because now this book was written on, the, on police and fire press, so a press that is meant to go out to other police officers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in this, he's bragging to other cops. That's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. In it, he says, I started my career by uh, investigating the Black Panther Party. Now, Colorado Springs, early 70s, Stokely Carmichael, not Black Panther Party, All African People's Revolutionary Party, mm-hmm. right? But he felt that nobody would know who that group was. So he lies on there and says Black Panther Party, just to brag. So this tells you who this person is, mm-hmm. like, right mm-hmm. away. Like, I'm just, but separately, in 1979, when the events that are supposedly happening with the KKK happen, um, he was not only taking part in uh, something that had to do with the KKK, he was infiltrating an organization that I later joined called the Progressive Labor Party. Um, the progress- and in the book, he states the reason that he was infiltrating that organization was because they had the slogan, smash the Klan. Okay. And they were doing things that were stopping Klan rallies. Okay. They were disrupted. They were, they were basically like an Antifa at the time, except without the, the facial coverings or whatever. Okay. And they were, they were actually stopping Klan rallies. Okay. Right? Um, and so he, listen to this, he infiltrated that organization because, because they were stopping Klan rallies. Mm. So he goes in there and what he did, what he, lays out in the book is at the same time as he's meeting every week with the FBI dude, um, he infiltrates uh, their, the, the POP, finds out how they're going to stop these rallies, tells it to the police who then tell it to, to the, the guy that's in the Klan, and they figure out how to organize their rallies so they don't get stopped. So this is so so I mean I mean in the movie it doesn't even say I mean he's he actually doesn't infiltrate the clan he makes a phone call right 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 so somebody else so the whole wow this is amazing he makes a phone call he doesn't like but what he's infiltrating is a radical organization um and um you know and 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 uh yeah, so he does that separately. There's a part in the movie, and and for folks that hadn't read the critique, none of the stuff about a bomb or stopping a bomb ever happened. Right. And for folks that are not familiar with the real world, none of that stuff about all the cops coming together to get rid of a racist oh, cop. That's insane. Happened. That's you know? insane. That would never even. So, um, you know, none of the quote unquote good stuff happened. Thanks to Boots for an amazing interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torrey Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torrey and on Instagram at Torrey Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torrey Show is written by me, Torrey, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Brandon Tago, and our photographer 
is Chuck Markets, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday with another amazing person because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.